Hey everyone, I'm Benjamin Minch, and this is my podcast, The Doctrinal Divorce. I'm a student at Biola University, and I'm also the teaching lead of a group of students on campus interested in spreading the love of Jesus and his kingdom to our Latter-day Saint friends. In this podcast, I'll be compiling weeks of past lessons and lectures that all talk about the Latter-day Saint and biblical doctrine from a Christian perspective. I hope you'll join me on this journey as we look through the doctrinal divorce between traditional biblical Christianity and the Latter-day Saint theology. With all that said, let's dive into the episode for this week. All right, next thing up, we've got the topic for tonight, uh, which is a sort of juicy one. Uh, <laughs> heaven, hell, and Mormonism. Like, wow. Usually this is like the topic that we'd, we'd try to avoid maybe. Uh, but I decided to put it on week two because I thought it's really interesting and important. So uh yes so we're going to start out with uh some conceptions that we go to this topic with like i was talking with a missionary i think uh, a few months ago uh when i was up in salt lake and uh we sort of i sort of brought up the question of like what because that is after i'd read the book of mormon with our little reading group that we had uh and i sort of brought up the question like what what is this hell that the book of mormon is talking about and she was like oh it's kind of just like this mental experience that you only like personally experience uh, it's not an actual place, like stuff like that. So, yeah, so it's, it's really sort of a clouded subject. So what I'm presenting here is in no way like the like Mormon answer that you typically get. It's like it is official church doctrine, sort of this. I'll show you. I'll bring up the picture. Uh, but it's not necessarily like like everyone has their own conception sort of of how this. So, yeah, so here's sort of a typical picture. If you go through Mormon Sunday school, you'll probably see this a few times. Uh, so this is, uh, so right now we're here, uh, on the earth. Uh, and then, so there's three different kingdoms of heaven. So they'd refer to these, the celestial, uh, the terrestrial and the telestial as sort of the three levels of heaven. Uh, the celestial, obviously by that gold, it looks like the sun. It's obviously the best. So you definitely want to go to celestial. Um, and so the different ways to get there, uh, you might not be able to see these, but Sort of celestial, the way you get there is first you got to be like a Mormon. Uh, you have to do some temple work. Uh, and you'll notice there's even like three tiers inside the celestial. There's one, two, and three. Uh, and in, in order to get to that center tier, you have to be like temple sealed, keep all the ordinances, baptize for the dead, uh, go on your mission, stuff like that. Uh, obey the words of wisdom, which is kind of just like these laws that you have that you can't you can't drink coffee and stuff uh, and so there's there's just a lot of stuff that's sort of how you get into celestial uh, and then terrestrial that's where the good people go uh but you didn't you didn't really accept christ in this world at least now uh, we'll find out later there's a there's this place called spirit prison where you can actually accept christ after you after you die uh you'll get ministered to by people who are on their way to celestial and they'll come down and you can you can get a second chance uh but yeah so i mean i guess if you were to ask a mormon like where am i going as a good person as a christian they'd probably say oh you're going to terrestrial like it's pretty cool pretty sure jesus hangs out down there uh god the father doesn't though um he makes visits apparently it's depending on who you ask you like visit twice a week or I don't, I don't even know what their answers are on this it's it's kind of arbitrary but uh, but then you've got the low way, uh, the telestial kingdom, which, uh, as uh, Riley or who brought up, oh, Brendan brought up, in conversation, they said this is sort of the closest thing to hell for them. 
so this is like where the Hitlers of the world, the super evil people, uh, the people who don't even accept the gospel when it's presented to them after they die, they go to Telestial, which is actually still pretty good, I think. Uh, they don't really give like in-depth descriptions of what you do in each place, but uh, yeah. Uh, then there's this thing called Out of Darkness, which we'll explore that a little bit later in this lesson. Uh, but the only way to get to Outer Darkness, some people, some Mormons you come across, actually a large majority would say there's like barely anyone in Outer Darkness or just demons. Because um, they're more of the type that you want to love everyone and just have everyone go to some sort of one of these kingdoms. Uh, but if you look into the Mormon doctrine, it, there is actually a way to go there, and it is by apostasy. So you become a Mormon, and then you leave the faith. Uh, so that's that's why also it's like Mormons that do hold that apostasy is a way to outer darkness. Like I think I think they honestly Joseph Smith included this in their doctrine to like lock people into the religion because it it's really scary. Like uh, leaving your religion could be like the only way to go to like the worst kingdom imaginable. So. Yeah, so that's a could be a reason that a lot of people stay in Mormonism, even if they think that it might be wrong. So, yeah, so we're going to, this is our grounding passage. It's actually not a Mormon text. It's in the Bible. Uh, if you haven't read it before, I'm going to read it out loud. It's in 1 Corinthians. It uh, mentions, uh, this is actually the King James. In your translations, I might not have these exact words, celestial, terrestrial, telestial, I misspelled one of them, but. Uh, yeah, celestial, telestial, and terrestrial. It might just be glories of the sun, moon, and stars. Um, but yeah, so there's celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. And so they sort of base their, their entire theology, or I guess, or conception of heaven is based off of this verse. Uh, and then they sort of expand on it in their doctrine of covenants, as we see. But one thing that's sort of interesting to note is uh, I did a quick little word search on on a logos uh, through my Book of Mormon. Um, it uses the word heaven uh, 176 times in the Book of Mormon, which is kind of a lot. Uh, it's not like the biggest book, uh, but not one of them when it's used refer to this three-tiered system. So I think that's pretty interesting. Uh, and you can sort of see some passages here that talk about heaven. Uh, and it seems like reading through the Book of Mormon, you'd get a pretty pretty biblical view of heaven at least as God's space. So, yeah. Yes, yeah, so here's Joseph Smith. Um, here's some things that he said about heaven and hell and these three systems on sort of the reason, I think, what, like if you look back to the founding of like, why, why do they have these three systems? Uh, this is mostly postulation, but it's sort of grounded in these quotations as uh, this three system this three-level system is so, an attempt to solve the age-old problem of like, when have I done enough to get into heaven? Uh, so if you're if you have like a workspace religious religions, people are sort of like on this on this like scale. There's like, are you like, this is the good, and then there's like the bad side, and sort of like where do you fall? And then uh, I guess this three-tiered system, sort of like, oh, if you're really good, sort of good, not that good falling into different kingdoms. And so it sort of makes sense based on that. So Joseph Smith, uh, in one of his teachings, he said, it was apparent that many important points touching salvation of men had been taken from the Bible or lost before it was compiled. It appeared self-evident from what truths were left, that if God rewarded everyone according to the deeds done in the body, the term heaven, uh, as intended for the saints, must include more kingdoms than one. And so you see sort of this uh, grounding on if God rewarded everyone's deeds according to what they were done, 
then there must be more than one kingdom because there's got to be, because people do different things. Yeah. And so he also said, and a similar teaching, he said, God judges men according to the use they make of the light which he gives them. And so, yeah, sort of on the similar ideas. All right, so now we're going to talk a little bit about who goes to which kingdom. Uh, and this is mostly found in Doctrine and Covenants 76. Uh, so if you don't know what this is, it's uh, Doctrine and Covenants is one of the books uh, that the Mormons hold as their holy scripture. You often see them carrying around like a triple. It has three three books, this Pearl of Great Christ and the Book of Mormon. Uh, and it's sort of teaching. This came out after the Book of Mormon. Uh, it's not really a sequel. It's mostly just like revelation that Joseph Smith had and wrote down afterwards. Uh, and I include this first part in here. Uh, it's not actually part of the who goes to which uh, kingdom, but it's it's pretty relevant because a lot of these doctrines uh, and a lot of these things that were revealed started out as mysteries. Uh, and he sees or God sort of tells him that he's going to reveal this mystery uh, and these hidden things. And so uh, it's sort of interesting that like you can even see a comparison to this from Christian doctrine where uh, like the things that God is revealing aren't really mysteries. Like they're pretty plain to everyone. Uh, and in the Doctrine and Covenants, they're mostly mysteries that were sort of up for interpretation only by Joseph Smith. And then he had to give it to everyone. And so, yeah, so it's just interesting. Uh, but from, I'm not obviously going to read this entire Doctrine and Covenants because I don't want to put you guys to sleep. Uh, but I sort of took out of there uh, which people sort of go into which kingdom. So Celestial, I sort of already talked about it, but you have to accept the message of Jesus and do a bunch of things. Terrestrial, uh, if you died without knowing God and you gained a testimony in the second world, like spirit prison, then you have to be honorable on the earth. Uh, and then Telestial, you're just a terrible person on earth uh, and you don't gain a testimony in spirit prison either. All right, now the, bit, the, the darkness. So who goes to outer darkness? Uh, so this is like the most hotly contested thing, even within Mormonism, like no one really knows. Uh, but there is, like I looked it up on the official church website, like you can escape outer darkness <laughs> uh, unless you're Satan or a demon. Uh, according to the ground in Alma, you can actually get out of outer darkness if you're thrown in there. So I guess it's not that bad. Uh, and they describe it with a lot of the same attributes as hell as well. So, yeah, that's pretty much outer darkness. I'm not going to read. Mormon scripture because it's pretty boring. Yeah. Yeah. Outer darkness. So yeah, so all that all we talked about was that's the Mormon view of heaven and hell, uh, or hell, outer darkness, same kind of thing. Uh so now let's talk about biblical perspective of heaven and hell. So this is the the fun part or the the meat of what I wanted to get to tonight because I think it's more important that we know uh, what the Bible says about heaven and hell than what the Book of Mormon says about it because I believe the Bible's uh, the word of God and the Book of Mormon is not. So so I think with a lot of a lot of Christians, at least growing up, I fell into this boat too. Uh, you sort of got earth over here and then you live your life and then sort of at the end game, you split into two groups and you've got the hell group and the heaven group. So, um, yeah, so that's that's sort of what I was grown up uh, sort of believing. And uh, I mean, that's what they taught me in Sunday school. It's sort of you live your life 
uh, and then for God's love of the world that you're going to get eternal life in heaven. And so, boom, like I always had trouble with this view and sort of reconciling like, oh, what do I do on earth? Like, why shouldn't I just like kill myself and go to heaven? Stuff like that. And so, yeah, so I know this is a very common and widespread view, but um, the only problem with this view is, uh, quite frankly, the Bible uh, has a lot of problems with this view. And so, uh, yeah, so we'll, we can come back to this at the end and see sort of, that it's not really so much about the end game as it's about the now game. Uh, so, yeah, oh, I, I meant to not draw those circles, but so we're going to go all the way back to Genesis to start our heaven and earth, our heaven and heaven and hell thing. Oops, I just spoiled it. Um, so if anyone can tell me, uh, in the beginning, God created blank. Heaven and earth? Heaven and hell? Mm -hmm. What? <laughs> Heaven's in the earth. Heaven's in the earth. And hell too? Just kidding. No, you didn't say that. <laughs> so we got the heaven. In the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. Yep. So throughout for that, we've got these two places. And I'm going to sort of be defining heaven throughout this lecture as this is God's space on earth. This is our space. This is where we live. Uh, yeah. And so, so if you remember back to the, the Genesis story, uh, heaven and earth aren't completely separate spaces as I've drawn them here. Uh, and so they actually are uh, overlapped in a place. Uh, so I don't know, so I don't know where, where heaven and earth meet in, in Genesis. I mean, the, the Genesis 1. It rhymes with the... What is the Garden of Eden? That is correct. <laughs> I like the Jeopardy answer. Yeah, so Eden is in the middle. Uh, this is sort of the meeting place of heaven and earth, and we've sort of got this draw a little tree. You've got the tree of life in the middle, uh, and then there's a bunch of these rivers, rivers flowing out from the tree of life. Uh, and so, yeah, so a lot of, uh, actually, I'll go on a little side tangent here. There's a lot of, like, there's a lot of, text given to these rivers uh, and so I thought it's pretty interesting in Genesis 2 there's like a whole paragraph and I, it's always kind of curious like why the heck why is why is the author of Genesis describing rivers for like a hundred words like is this really that important and uh, did some research into it it's actually it's pretty important so here's sort of a map you can't see all of it but uh, this is sort of where the rivers are going on Genesis so you've got this is sort of the postulated place of the Garden of Eden uh, and it describes four different rivers that shoot out from the Garden of Eden. Uh, two of them actually go off this map, so I'll draw them in later. But you've got one, the Tigris, which is going to go up and pass by Assyria. Uh, you've got the Euphrates, which goes right by Babylon. Uh, and then you've got two more, kind of forgot there, the Kush and one other one, that go down here to Egypt. And so, yeah, so just remember uh, these rivers, we're going to come back to them later. Uh, but really, uh, one, it's really significant. Like, what are all, these are like the biggest nations that, these are all the biggest nations that Israel has beef with uh, throughout the whole entire Old Testament. And so uh, it's sort of, sort of ironic almost that like God is creating this river or this garden that has rivers flowing out that are providing life to all the nations around it. Uh, and so that, so sort of keep that imagery in the back of your mind when we go into uh, the further thing. But yeah, but you all know the story of Eden. Uh, here we got man. He's pretty happy. 
So we've got Man in Eden, and we all know what happens. Uh, he gets he gets the boot. He gets the boot out of Eden. Uh, and so, so this introduces sort of the topic. Um, so if you're wondering, like, at the beginning here, where where's hell? Like, we didn't draw it in. It's not something God created. Didn't create heaven and earth and hell. Uh, it's sort of this sort of this thing that comes in after. Uh, and so, uh, right now, I'm going to draw hell right here, uh, and I'll explain why. Uh, actually, right now, and then we'll revisit it. So, we're going to take another little side tangent. This this lesson is just filled with side tangents, so bear with me. Uh, if you have any questions, go ahead and ask it. You might after this part, but. All right, so we're going to do, uh, I've actually been doing a lot of study on this recently. Uh, we're going to look at hell. And so uh, hell in the Bible, it appears only 12 times, um, only in the New Testament also. And of those 12 times, only six are unique uh, because the other, the other ones are repeated. In uh, so like you've got the same account in Matthew and Mark, uh, and they're using the same words of Jesus, sort of just repeating it. Uh, and out of those six times, what's interesting is two refer to uh, an action or an unleashing, unleashing. And so, so one third of these times that hell is mentioned, it's actually sort of an action word. So we're going to look at. Ow, I just ran over my toe with my chair. Um, so we're going to look at those two times. Uh, so we got James. So in James 3.6, we see uh, that's the passage on the tongue. Uh, and so we've got uh, James is describing the tongue as this device that is uncontrolled uh, and set on fire uh, by hell. Uh, when And he's referring to after, like, you slander or uh, gossip about others. And so you've got sort of this tongue that is lit on fire by hell and can actually unleash hell on earth by, by doing, uh, by slandering or by, by just being down on others with your words. And so uh, the other usage is uh, in, in Matthew's gospel, we've got this story where uh, Jesus is calling out the Pharisees, which uh, happens a lot, but uh, in Matthew 23, he calls out the Pharisees, uh, uh, and their hypocrisy and saying that these Pharisees are bringing hell on earth by uh, their hypocrisy and they're actually making other people children of hell. And so we've got a Pharisee that's actually described by Jesus to be bringing hell on earth through his actions and hypocrisy. And so, yeah, so this is just something that sort of piqued my interest in hell. And so, uh, yeah, there's a lot of good Good work done. I'm in actually, I'm in a class, or I was in a class over the summer on Genesis 1 and 2. And so this topic came up and sort of that, that's where a lot of my uh, thoughts are coming from. But uh, if you look in your Bibles, if you could just find one instance of the word hell, uh, you can, you'll notice that hell is often, there's a little footnote under it and I'll have this word, strange word, Gehenna. Um, so this is actually just a, you could just take this with a grain of salt. It's a, it's a, it's a Greek, it's Greek letters, but it's actually a Hebrew word. Um, it's actually a place. So Gehenna is a place. Uh, in the Old Testament, this place is referred to as the Valley of Hinnom. And so uh, if you're wondering why I'm getting into all this, like, don't worry, it'll make sense later. It'll, it'll just click and you'll be like, boom, I'm blown. Maybe. Hopefully if I, if I do it right. Uh, so 
Yeah, so Valley of Hinnom, it's actually a place that exists today. If you want to see a picture of it, here you go. You can go to Israel and stand in hell. So it doesn't really look like hell. Uh, it's actually pretty luscious and green. Um, yeah, but I'm sure that, I'm sure it's, it's, pretty, it's a bad place. Um, so yeah, so this Valley of Hinnom. Uh, so what's really significant about this? Uh, well, in the ancient context, when this is brought up, you'd be thinking of some pretty, there's a lot of really bad memories uh, filled with this valley. And so uh, in Jeremiah 32, we see, uh, let's draw out the valley. We see Israel is actually, and also in Second Chronicles 28, uh, we see Ahaz is sort of doing this, one of the kings of Israel. Uh, they're actually going into this valley and sacrificing children to Molech, which is one of the uh, Babylonian gods, I believe, or Assyrian, one of those two. Uh, and so in this valley of Hinnom, they're actually going and they're, they're sacrificing children. And then so uh, in this instance, Jeremiah sort of refers to this as uh, they are setting fire to the valley. Uh, and they're like, so we see, uh, yeah, so if we take this and sort of just loop it back. So we see that the people, by doing this sacrificing, Jeremiah is saying they are setting fire to the valley. So it's real interesting because we see that people are actually the ones setting the fires of hell, in a sense. Uh, and so, uh, and then eventually, uh, we'll get into this also a little bit later. Eventually, Jeremiah says that uh, God is going to give Israel over to this valley uh, to be buried there. So they're sort of given over to their own. Uh, setting a fire or a sort of uh, their own creation of hell. They're sort of given over into this valley and burned uh, there as well. And so, yeah, so there's a little side tangent of why I put hell sort of inside the earth. Uh, but it won't always stay there. This is definitely not God's intention. Uh, God made a good earth. and He definitely does not want hell to stay there. So we'll eventually deal with this hell. Uh, but not yet. Uh, as you can see, we're still living in a place where there is brokenness. And yeah, you can you can just look outside for that. I don't really need to explain too much. Um, so yeah, so we're booted out of the garden here. Uh, we're booted out of Eden. So now where, uh, so it's, let's redraw. We've got our, wow, I already drew it. That's pretty, pretty intuitive. Uh, so let's redraw our intersection. So can anyone tell me, so after we're booted out of Eden, uh, God, for some odd reason, uh, I can't really explain it other than love, uh, doesn't give up on humanity and actually stays with them. And so uh, does anyone know what, what's next to put in this circle of sort of the intersection of heaven and earth? Sinai, yeah. So, or just holy mountain. So we've got, got this holy mountain where heaven sort of meets earth. We see in Exodus uh, 24, Moses walks up there and he sees this like sapphire platform uh, and he sees God sort of sitting on top of it in the sky. And so we see it's sort of a intersection of heaven and earth on this mountain. Uh, and so, yeah. And so, but then Moses goes up there. Uh, he goes up there and receives plans for the tabernacle. I think you guys said it. Uh, so that tabernacle is going to be, yeah. So then God's, God's presence after they build this tabernacle or tent, uh, the tent of meeting as it's often called. Uh, after they build that, God's presence, got the mountain over here, this cloud, it's, it describes it as a cloud of God's presence, goes down and sits over the tabernacle from the mountain. And so now we've got uh, God's dwelling with his people through the tabernacle, uh, which is great. 
and so after the tabernacle, I think uh, Sammy said it first, you've got the temple. So Solomon built that, built that temple. So yeah, so we see that this temple is oftentimes in the Bible seen as a portal between, uh, between heaven and earth. And so we get stories like Isaiah 6 where he's taken over by the spirit and he has this like dream where he's teleported to the temple. Uh, and he looks up and he sees all these cherubim singing, holy, 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 as the Lord God Almighty. And then uh, he sees God there as well. And he reaches down and sort of hits him with a coal. Um, we could get into that whole story later because I think it's really cool. Um, but yeah, so we see the temple as this place of meeting between heaven and earth. Uh, it's also seen in Ezekiel where he actually enters into the temple and sees the robe of God and God's sort of like kneecaps. You can imagine God kind of just sitting on a giant throne and here's his giant his giant legs and his his robe that kind of goes down there and so Ezekiel sort of describes seeing that from the temple uh so, so yeah so the temple was seen as this portal almost between heaven and earth so does anyone know what comes next the temple is eventually destroyed and then rebuilt um but then and someone, some, something else comes, some, come, comes along here. Uh, it said Jesus. All right, that's good. You're correct. <laughs> yeah. So what's really interesting is John's gospel gives us, uh, sort of makes this link really clear. Uh, in John one, we see the Son of Man comes down and dwells among us. On uh, this dwells term, uh, really, is like dwelling in a tent, and so it's like Jesus came down and tabernacled among us. Uh, and so sort of linking Jesus to this tabernacle figure. And so we've got Jesus coming down, fully God, fully man. Oh, we should probably just remind ourselves, hell's still here. <laughs> the world still sucks. But he announces, uh, he announces the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus comes and he's announcing kingdom of heaven is coming. So heaven is coming because God's original plan was to extend Eden all over the earth and for those two kingdoms to sort of merge. Uh, and so we've got Jesus here who's announcing, he's like, it's coming, uh, it's coming in me. And so, uh, yeah, but Jesus died and came back to life. Uh, and so uh, this is something just really interesting. Um, oh, I guess I could just draw this in with orange. So Jesus, so we've got the cross here as sort of the center, death and resurrection of Jesus as sort of the center piece of uh of his ministry and so uh, another interesting thing we've got uh is john's gospel also gives us uh some detail into after they pierced his side uh, we've got blood but also water comes out and so through jesus's death it's uh in a way just like where are we it was a while ago just like the tree of life uh jesus jesus's death uh actually is bringing life to the nations um so yeah so that's just something i think is really cool but then jesus goes up into heaven uh so what's next uh what is so so he says the kingdom of heaven's coming but obviously kingdom of heaven didn't fully come when he was there uh so what is or who is going to bring the kingdom to earth now and so wow i really okay well we'll, we'll just erase that so uh so yeah so it sort of leaves us with this question of who's going to bring the kingdom to earth. Uh, and one thing we see 
also in John's gospel, I guess we're, we're there a lot today, is uh, we've got this thing called the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says the Holy Spirit is coming to dwell among you. Uh, and so now we see that the Holy Spirit is coming to, uh, I think later in the New Testament somewhere, it mentions that our bodies are temples. Uh, I kind of forgot where that was, but I think it's, I know, I know it's in there somewhere. Uh, so we see the Holy Spirit coming to tabernacle with us. And so we, as believers, actually become these mini, mini tabernacles or mini temples uh, where God's presence, uh, where the heavenly presence interacts with the earthly presence. And so imagine heaven is, we're just going to make heaven's rule green. And so heaven is sort of uh, inside of, inside of us because we have uh, the Holy Spirit inside of us. And so now uh, our job is to, is to bring heaven on earth and work towards the full uniting, uniting of heaven and earth. And so uh, one thing that's also interesting is uh, with this, this river analogy, um, uh, Jesus tells his followers uh, in John, John 7 that uh, we should also be springs of living water uh, flowing throughout the nations. And so we should mimic in his example of giving life to people as uh, bringers of the kingdom. And so, yeah, so that brings us with one unanswered question, and that's Mr. Hell right here. Uh, so what's eventually, what's eventually going to happen? Uh, so, so when heaven and earth are fully united together, obviously hell cannot dwell in the presence of heaven. And so God, quite, quite literally, uh, gets the hell out of earth. And so uh, hell becomes sort of this concentration of just an evil, terrible place. Uh, that is not welcomed in this new earth and this new heavens uh, creation uniting thingy majiggy. Um, so yeah, that's sort of the biblical story of this whole heaven earth and where everything's headed. Uh, this sort of ties in with at least I sort of reflected on the image of God. Um, so I've got some. This I believe is the it's like an, an idol of the nursing god of some culture i don't know why i put that up there but um yeah i just thought that the image of god sort of tied in really perfectly with our job of bringing the kingdom uh of heaven to earth and so so this word image of god obviously grounded in genesis 1 26 to 27 where god's saying uh i make man in my image and so elsewhere where we see images pop up in the bible we see uh they most often refer to idols. And so this is just like a new way through this class I've been taking over the summer. It's just like a new way of thinking about image of God. Uh, it's this thing that we are like God's idols. Like he crafted us to be uh, idols of himself. And so we are these uh, idols in the, the Near East culture were seen as these living embodiments of the God that they represented. And so here you sort of see the idol. This is just an idol of the nursing God. And so uh, it's supposed to be, so they believe that idols were like actual embodiments of the God they represented. Uh, and they even have rituals where they, they like worship these idols and like the breath of God of their God comes and fills the idol to show that it's taking a place there. And so, um, yeah, so we as idols of God sort of represent his rule and his authority uh, on the earth. Uh, so you can sort of link that to 
so yeah, so this, if this green is sort of God's presence and Holy Spirit inside of us, uh, us being the idols of God means that we are sort of this representative on the earth uh, working towards uh, bringing together heaven and earth and bringing God's rule all over the earth. Uh, and this idea is sort of also propagated by the pharaohs had this idea of idols and they put idols down of in places that they conquer uh, just to show like, oh, like Pharaoh conquered this area. And so if you see an idol of Pharaoh somewhere, that means it's probably under Egyptian rule. And so idols became seen, became uh, seen and known as this symbol that uh, the king, there's a king that rules here and that king is Pharaoh. And so, uh, so yeah, I just think that's a really deep metaphor that we could explore uh, how we are uh, representations and uh, even the theme for missions conference, I think two years ago, ambassadors uh, for God's kingdom uh, and wherever we show up, that's sort of uh, whatever spaces we influence are also God's spaces as well. And so, yeah, I think that's a really cool connection. Uh, so I just really wanted to end it with, uh, with a parable actually uh, that Jesus tells. So, so this is Jesus. Um, Matthew 25 is really close to him going up on the cross. Uh, and so um, for this, actually, in I believe it's Matthew, like right before, right before uh, he goes up to the cross, he sort of gives these signs in Matthew 24 of the end of the ages. And he says that the temple is going to be destroyed in a generation. And he says, uh, and then I'm coming back, uh, but he doesn't really give a time. And so after he says this, there's just a bunch of, there's a bunch of parables and stories about uh, what his followers should do uh, in this time, uh, in the time anticipating God coming back, uh, Jesus coming back, uh, and uh, but we're not there quite yet. And so this is one of the parables that he gives. Uh, I'm going to, if you can't tell by the picture, it's the parable of the talents. Uh, it's a pretty long one, but I'd encourage you to read it uh, on your own maybe this week and just reflect. Uh, the parable of the talents is, uh, yeah, actually... It's one of it's one of these key points where Jesus is telling his disciples like just because just because I'm not coming back uh, like right now doesn't mean that your life here is totally useless like uh, like with this first view we can go all the way back to this the parable of the talents would make no sense of this um, because if if Jesus is just coming back uh, at the end times. And now it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter if we bury our talents in the ground uh, and just wait it out. Uh, but with this view of Jesus coming in uh, and actually giving us responsibility to bring this kingdom here on earth, I think the parable of the talents gains a really significant meaning of like our responsibility and how we should uh, how we should deal with what we're given by God to extend that kingdom. Uh, and so I think it's a really cool thing that we can do. Uh, that we as EMI do uh, is we work sort of in a small niche of this giant global project of extending the kingdom uh, into Utah. And so, yeah, so that's just one thing that we do uh, as well as with Mormons around us locally as well. And so, yeah, it's really cool. It's a really cool project and it gives you this sort of sense that everything I'm doing now actually matters uh, and has eternal uh, ramifications rather than just I'm uh, just doing things just to pass time here on earth